VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. Welcome to the show as we commemorate today, Anti-Slavery Day. This is Anti-Slavery Day, and I must tell you how embarrassed I am that I did not know more about this until I heard about this great man, and he is truly a great man, Kevin Bales, who is the director of Free the Slaves and author of a book that is so profound. It's called Disposable People, New Slavery in the Global Economy. And not only do I urge everyone listening to our show today to buy this book, but to tell someone else to buy this book because it will change you. And I want to tell you, as a woman with a disability and a civil rights leader for people with disabilities, this just had such an impact on me because, as we know, throughout the world, so many of us have been left out of employment, but in other parts of the world, really, totally oppressed. This, what we're going to talk about today, is beyond that, and it is horrifying, although, may I say, many of those people now have disabilities as a result of the violence they have endured in their life, I'm sure that that is a fact, but I am honored to have today the author of this book, the director of Free the Slaves, on Anti-Slavery Day, and he is the world's leading expert on contemporary slavery, a great person. Welcome to our show, Kevin Bale. Joyce, you are much too kind. I, I just have to say, I you know, I just feel lucky I get to do the work I do. But thank you for those very kind words. Well, that's what makes you the great person you are. And I want <laughs> I want to tell you about a great young man that works for our company as an intern. His name is John Bennett, and he, as far as I'm concerned, will be a future leader in the world, doing something to change the world. And it is John Bennett in my office that came in and gave us this book and said, "You must read this book." And I guess he followed the directions you have at the end of the book. Give mm-hmm. this book to someone else, and that's exactly what he did. But so that our listeners <clears throat> will know what we're talking about, because I bet as you hear us talking, you hear us talking about, what, anti-slavery day, what the heck are you talking about? But first, let's start with you, Kevin. What made you decide to dedicate your life's work to this mission? Well, you know, I, I, I had done work in different kinds of human rights, uh, though most of my career has been as a college professor. Uh, but in the early 90s, I, actually, I, I, I was at a public event in London, and I picked up a leaflet that said something like, there are millions of slaves in the world today. And I looked at this leaflet and thought, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about modern, lots of modern slaves. And I read the, the leaflet on the way going home and, and realized, gosh, there's a lot of questions here, and I just I just don't know what what any of the answers happened to be. The leaflet was actually put out by Anti-Slavery International, a group that I thought of as simply a historical group that had probably faded away. But in fact, ever since they started in 1787, they've been operating to combat slavery either in its legal form or its illegal form. And, uh, and in time, I became very closely linked to them and then moved to the United States in the year 2000 to establish the American 
sister organization of Anti-Slavery International, the, the organization we call Free the Slaves. Wow. You know what? See, now you're that example, though, of someone that sees something that needs help. And, and you did something about it. Well, now, let's be, uh, let me be fair, though, and say, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that I saw something that needed help at first. It was really that my curiosity began to drive me. Uh, I, I'd spent a lot of time as a social researcher, and the more I looked into what we knew in the mid-1990s about contemporary slavery, the more I realized that, there, that we, knew, we, we didn't know a, a great deal more than we did know. And I and I began to be pushed along to do research, but but Joyce, I've got to tell you, the moment that that really began to change into a very deep conviction, a very a very strong calling about what I wanted to do with my life, had to do when I got out into the field doing research to write the book, and I began to meet people in slavery. And you know, when you meet people in slavery, you know, when you when you talk to people in slavery, look into their eyes, watch their lives unfold, and watch the damage being done to them every day. It, it, it touches you very deeply, and and it, and I soon began to feel I I couldn't just go back to the classroom. I needed to do something about this problem. Well, thank goodness you did. And the book he's talking about, uh, Kevin Bells wrote the book, Disposable People, in 1999, and by the way, donated the royalties to free the slaves. This book, to me, the only word I could describe is shocking. You know, I would have to say that many of you listening to the show today, you will just be absolutely mortified when you read this book. I was, and I realized how uninformed I was. Because if someone had told me that all these people were in contemporary slavery, I really, I knew a little bit, but not to this extent. So, Kevin, can you first explain to our listeners the number of people today throughout the world who live in contemporary slavery, and then could you explain the difference between contemporary slavery and possibly what our listeners will think of when they think of slavery as it was in the South during the Civil War time period? Certainly. Uh, and let me say as well, of course, that if people are not aware of contemporary slavery, that's, that's not, nothing to be ashamed of. I was there myself just a few years ago. The truth of it is that there's been quite a, an expansion, almost an explosion in the number of people in slavery in the last 30 to 40 years, so it really has crept up on us in some ways. Uh, the number has very much increased with the number of people during uh, in the world because of the population explosion since about 1950. Uh, most of that population growth has been in the poorest parts of the world, and in those countries where there's also significant corruption, especially police corruption, it means that those very poor people can be harvested and forced into situations of slavery. Uh, and I want to be clear as well, we're talking about real slavery. This is not about people working in sweatshops with very low wages. It's people who have no control over their lives whatsoever, who are under violent control by someone else, and who are paid nothing for the work that they do, beyond, say, food and a little shelter, and who are being economically exploited. If we use that fundamental definition, we've got about 27 million people oh. in slavery around the world, about 27 million people. Are you listening? 27 million. 27 Million. Well, now I I appreciate that's a very large number, but in some in some ways it's both a large number and a small number. And I say large because 27 million is almost exactly double 
the number of people who were taken out of Africa in the entire 350 years of the transatlantic slave trade. But at the same time, 27 million people in the year 2007 is probably the smallest proportion of the world's population to ever be in slavery. So it's that, in fact, it's the smallest fraction of the world population to ever be in slavery. And that fact gives us a certain amount of, of hope about being able to bring it to eradication. It does, except that, you know, here we are in this day and age. Why would we still have this? In many ways, the slavery of today is, is, is hidden, sometimes hidden in plain sight, but hidden away in the cracks and corners of our economy. Uh, it's not part of any large vested interest like agricultural slavery in the Deep South before the Civil War. It's tucked away in small areas and doesn't make up a major part of any economy or any industry. And it means that as a criminal activity, it's concealed, uh, but it also means that as we come to understand the location of this criminal activity, we're able to wipe it out. We don't, we don't have to, to face the same challenges that campaigners faced in the past. We don't have to get a law passed against slavery. There's a law against it in every single country. And we don't really even have to convince people it's morally wrong. Virtually every human being today agrees that it's it's a morally wrong thing to do. And, and we don't have to do what they had to do in the 1850s was actually uh, argue against some um, Protestant Christian uh, ministers in the Deep South who would stand in their pulpits and say, no, slavery's all right. We can. There are biblical reasons why it's okay. Now, we, we've really simply got to get the laws that are on the books enforced and find ways to reduce the the causes of slavery, which have to do with poverty and corruption. But in those countries where they have slavery, such as Thailand or India or Brazil or Pakistan, which you talk about in your book, you know, why do those people not think it's wrong? Well, most of the people there do think it's wrong. But there's sort of two or three answers to your question, in that not every person who who's a slaveholder sees slavery in the same way, that uh, slave owners, slave masters, slaveholders will see it in slightly different ways. A lot of the people who, who actually hold slaves in rural India, Pakistan, and countries like Mauritania actually inherit their slaves. And they, they often grow up with close personal relationships with the people in slavery in their family. And to break away from that requires quite a bit of rebellion against family rules and family customs. Now, I'm not saying there's any excuse there. I'm just saying that for them, it often takes some education to help them to see that what has always been a normal custom that you've learned from your own parents is, in fact, a criminal activity and, and has to be ended. So I have to say, in those situations, it's somewhat easier sometimes to help people to come out of slavery. The more pernicious and difficult type of slavery are those that you mentioned in Thailand, where you actually have simply criminals who are very consciously deciding that they can make money out of the violent uh, exploitation of one other human being, and they they come into it very in a very clear-headed way, uh, deciding to use violence, deciding to treat people as disposable, and doing it to make a lot of money. And those people... Uh, are much more difficult to pry away from the idea of slavery. There's no talking them out of it. You simply have to put them out of business. And that really is the only way that it's going to stop or change. 
primarily. Well, we're going to we're going to talk about that a little bit more when we come back. But right now we're going to go to break for a minute, and then we'll be right back with Mr. Kevin Bills, a really great civil rights leader who is also the director of Free the Slaves and author of the book that I've been talking about, Disposable People, and we'll talk about what more he has written. As soon as we come back, you're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. VoiceAmerica.com, your news talk information radio network. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives. But too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and Free Your Mind. Open your heart and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists, and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back, and I'm really glad you're listening to this show. And you know what I want you to do? I want you to tell all of your friends to go back and listen to this show because you know it's archived on voiceamerica.com and benderconsult.com. Tell your friends to listen to this show. It, it is really important. And as we are today talking about Anti-Slavery Day, which is today, we have an expert with us on our show to talk about contemporary slavery. That is Mr. Kevin Bales, the director of Free the Slaves. And we have two questions here from our listeners that have been emailed to us. The first 
question is from Linda in Philadelphia, and that is, first of all, congratulations to you. I wish there were more people like you in this world that took time to help those who have been left out. But my question is, I noticed people talk a lot about slavery throughout the world, especially in third world countries. What about right here in the United States? That's a great question, Linda. The, uh, we, we have a, a fair bit of slavery right here in the United States. The, the basic rule of human trafficking uh, in the global economy is that people go from poorer countries to richer countries. And when you're the richest country in the world, you've actually got people coming to you being trafficked in and enslaved uh, from, from all over the planet. Uh, I know in, our, in a big piece of research that we recently did for the United Nations about slavery in the United States, we found more than 50 countries represented in terms of the people who were trafficked into situations of slavery in the U.S. Overall in the United States, uh, our best estimate, our best and very conservative estimate, would be that we have at least 40 to 50,000 people in slavery in America today. Um, that's based on some numbers that have come from the CIA as well as the State Department and some of our own research and so forth. Those people, those 50-some thousand, are divided between uh, just under half are probably enslaved in situations of prostitution, and the remainder are split between agricultural workers, domestic servants, people working in restaurants, some sweatshops, and so, so forth, and anything else that a criminal can think of. The thing that's very shocking about slavery in America is what a low priority it uh, takes in terms of our national government's response. We have a wonderful law in the United States, uh, one of the best laws in the world, but we don't resource its enforcement. And a very easy way to see that is to, to note that uh, the State Department says that about 17,000 people are brought in to be enslaved in the United States every year. It's also interesting to, to compare that to the fact that about 17,000 people are murdered in the United States every year. Uh, those two, the coincidence of those two numbers makes for a very kind of shocking comparison because if you look at the clear-up rate, in other words, how many murders are either solved or found some way to the, they're resolved, uh, we clear up about 75% of all the murders in the United States. Of the 17,000 people who are brought into the United States to be slaves every year, we find and clear up less than 1% of those cases. Now, that's a pretty shocking difference between two very serious crimes. Wow. That is unbelievable. That is absolutely unbelievable. <clears throat> I talked to Kevin at uh, the break for a minute, but maybe you can talk about it in more detail, Kevin. Someone listening to the show right now may be saying, how the heck could someone be brought into the United States, be in slavery, and remain in slavery? Why wouldn't they, you know, just run away? Could you talk about that for a minute? Oh, of course. The... Um it's important to remember that people who are brought into the United States to be put in situations of slavery are are surrounded by things that that lock them in and keep them. Uh, you know, they and I appreciate that that if you're used to being free, it's easy to say why can't they just walk away? But you have to remember that they probably don't speak the language. Uh, they don't have any way to communicate. They often don't have any idea where they are. But worse, they've usually been brutalized, assaulted, physically assaulted, sometimes sexually assaulted. 
as well as one of the favorite things that human traffickers do when they enslave people is keep them sleep-deprived and food-deprived. So, you know, if you've ever had a blow to the head or been sleep-deprived for a long period, you, you know how addled and confused you can be. So add that to violent control, not knowing where you are, not understanding anyone who speaks around you, and you begin to get a sense of how the control can be instituted over a person and, and the fear can be engendered in a person to keep them from running away. Now, some, of course, do run away. Um, and they some find their way to a social service agency, some find their way to the police, and some find their way to an average citizen who takes them in and helps them. But one of the, our greatest difficulties in the United States today is the fact that people who are in slavery are often enslaved in plain sight, but the average citizen doesn't have any way to recognize that. Joyce, I'd like to tell a story about that because it also involves the, ex- the exploitation of slaves who are also disabled. May I? Uh, yeah, go right ahead, please. One of the largest and most interesting cases in the last few years was what's known as the deaf Mexican case. And in that case, uh, a woman who was deaf herself brought a large number of Mexican citizens to New York City who were themselves profoundly deaf and put them onto street corners to beg using their their deafness and disability as the kind of hook for their begging. Now, once they were uh, not on the street, they were brutalized, they were beaten up, they were sexually assaulted, they were locked in a small apartment at night, they were under this complete control, their families were threatened. Um, But it was fascinating that they were standing on street corners in Manhattan where thousands of people passed them every day. But they were isolated first by, of course, their culture, and the fact that they were enslaved and fearful, but secondly, by their own disability, which was used as a kind of barrier by the slaveholder to make sure that people wouldn't be able to communicate with them and to find ways that they could, in fact, uh, find out what their real situation would be. And they remained in that situation and made hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for that slaveholder until um, uh, uh, a Spanish-speaking person, uh, I think it was actually a, a Catholic priest, who also knew sign language, began to communicate with one of these uh, deaf Mexicans who had been enslaved to beg on the streets, and that broke the case open. Um, But I thought it was a fascinating way that showed both how slaves are hidden in plain sight and their disabilities can be used against them to foster their enslavement. You know what? I am really glad you told that story because this show is being real-time captioned for all of the members, of course, of my disability community who are deaf. So they are real-time hearing everything you're saying by reading the text. And it just occurred to me, since there are people in the United States, Canada, but other parts of the world listening, this could be someone listening to the show if somehow they gained access to be near a computer, but even if not, they could know someone in this situation. And what I'm wondering is, what do you do if you know someone in that situation? What would you want the person to do? Well, the, the, one of the best things is that the U.S. government has a hotline number. Uh, and I wish I had that number to my fingertips, but I can get it for you in just a second. It's certainly available on our website at freetheslaves.net. The other thing, though, that I would say for people who are, who are interested to know more about how they can see slavery in their own communities is that on our website we've 
we have a, a pamphlet, a small little booklet that you can download as a PDF file that is called uh, Slavery in Our Communities, and it's all uh, slavery in our own backyards, and it's, it gives you a series of warning signs that you can look for to and to to see if you if the situation that you that looks a little dubious to you could in fact be a human trafficking and slavery case. Free the slaves website is what again? Free the slaves all one word dot net n e t net. Free the slaves dot net phone number is two zero two five eight eight one eight six five two zero two five eight eight one eight six five because I realized I had this happen when we did a show um, <clears throat> on another horrible subject, but unfortunately children with disabilities are sexually abused twice as often as a non disabled child. Oh my and we did a show where I talked about this on the air and kept insisting if you are this person or know anyone, call in. I couldn't believe how many people called in. So I just want to repeat, if you know someone or you're in that situation, you've got to get to free the slaves. You've got to call them. And, and, um, and at 202-588-1865. Joyce, no, I'm sorry. I think you... That, yeah, Is that you an old that, number? It's a, it's a slightly wrong number. It's 202-638. Okay, I'm sorry. It's in the That's book. Okay. I probably have an yeah. old... 202-638-1865? That's right. Okay. Also, you know you can reach me at Voice America or at BenderConsult.com anytime. Because if you know this is what's happening to someone, you've got to do something about it. You must do something about it. I mean, here it is happening right here in our own country. We're not free because we're not employed. Imagine, though, being really not free, period. And, Kevin, didn't you also mention that sometimes people even use drugs to cause people to be in this situation more? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, particularly when uh, people are tricked, brought to this country and then forced into a situation of a prostitution, which really is simply serial rape. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, of the few, one of the ways that they, that they build up to control young women in that situation and girls and boys is to, is to give them drugs, alcohol and drugs, to keep them in a kind of stupor uh, so that they're more easily manipulated and exploited. Kevin, a question just came in to you from uh, Washington, D.C., from Jamie, who asked, when you consider modern slavery and human trafficking in today's modern society, how do individuals with disabilities typically become victimized in this process, and what is done to ensure that that problem is eradicated? Well, the, the second half of that question is a very big... Yeah, a very second big... half, we're not there yet, but go ahead with the first part. With the first half, to be perfectly clear... Um, I think it's worth saying that not well. That while I talked about the deaf Mexican case, uh, the enslavement of people with disabilities is not very common, uh, and that's because slaveholders, people who take people into slavery, uh, have a very large pool of people to pick from in the world today, because of in part of the population explosion. That means that uh, they are often 
looking for those people that they consider best able to exploit for the work that they want done. Mm -hmm. And that means that they are often looking for very able, healthy young people. And what are you referring to here? Making bricks, uh, working incredible hours, you know, manual type labor or prostitution. Or prostitution. In the same way that it's very rare to find an elderly person who's been enslaved today. Mm Uh, whereas children, uh, because they can be worked very, very hard and often have very few um, legal protections, especially in those countries where they're unlikely to even be registered or have birth certificates, uh, can easily be exploited. And one comment before we go to break, Jamie, what I'd say about that, I would say it's more likely that slavery causes disabilities. Oh, you're right there, Joyce. That's what I would say. It's more likely it causes disabilities. And we'll talk more about that when we come back with our guest today, the author of Disposable People, Kevin Bales, and the director of Free the Slaves. You're listening to Joyce Bender on Anti-Slavery Day on voiceamerica.com. Don't leave. We're coming right back. From our home to your speakers, voiceamerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on VoiceAmerica.com. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Welcome back. I am on the show with Kevin Bales, who is just doing work that is so important in this world. 
as we today are talking about Anti-Slavery Day. Before we went to break, I had mentioned if you know someone or you're in this situation and you want to call to get help, Kevin, I think you do have a number for them. Yeah, this is the um, the National Helpline. It's 888, so that makes it a free call, 888-373-7888. One more time. 888 888- Three seven, three seven, eight eight eight. And this is in a this is a hotline call. This is a hotline call. It takes you to a trained social worker, a social service worker who will help you take the next steps, and it uh, is linked to the U.S. government's um, human trafficking information hotline. And you know, at break, Kevin and I were talking about. You know, I was telling him this needs to be no more. I mean, they need like you know a Schindler's List type movie, you know, about this, to try to bring attention to this. But And Kevin was informing me there are a couple movies, you know, one in the works this fall, but more importantly, that he was involved in a feature-length film for HBO that received an uh, Emmys and the Peabody Award, which that is really very prestigious. Could you talk about that for a minute? I was, uh, yeah, I, I have to say, I... I... I was involved in it, but I, you know, a lot of the credit goes to these amazing film, British filmmakers. That film was called Slavery, a Global Investigation, and it was based on my book, Disposable People, and came out in 2001. Um, in fact, any listener can watch this film uh, YouTube-style on our website. So if you go to our website, freetheslaves.net, you can watch the film actually on the website, or you can order a DVD copy of it. Uh, for a very low cost, I think something like ten bucks, uh, we'll get you a DVD copy of the film. It's a it's a very very powerful film. We also, however, have uh, much newer films, films just made in the last two years. One that's called Dreams Die Hard runs about thirty minutes, which is about slavery in the United States today, and it looks very closely at uh, people who have been enslaved in the United States in different parts of the country and different types of work. And then two other films that run about 20 minutes each, which are about slavery in northern India. One about the enslavement of children uh, to weave carpets in northern India, and the other, and about about the rehabilitation center that we uh, support there for when they come out. And the other is about debt bondage workers, people who are enslaved uh, in a hereditary kind of slavery, who are caught in a quarry, working in a quarry, and how they find their way to freedom with a little bit of help. These movies you're talking about, can you order all of those movies from your website? Absolutely. You, you can watch all of them on the website and order them all of them from the website. FreeTheSlaves.net. FreeTheSlaves.net. And, and they also, if, if, for educators, uh, each film has an accompanying information pack and teacher pack. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah, that is great because, um, again, you've got to read this book. Just cannot begin to tell you the impact it will have on you. Kevin, do you have another book out? Well, uh, there are a couple of things, but the, I think most importantly is in September, uh, I, along with Free the Slaves, are publishing uh, a major new book, which is called Ending Slavery. Uh, Ending Slavery, how, how We Will Free Today's Slaves. We've spent the last uh, few years since uh, the last book came out working very hard to work out precisely how we can bring about global eradication of slavery. We've been looking at the cost of it, the right strategies and tactics, what 
formula needs to be applied to different countries, what lessons we can learn from liberators and abolitionists around the world. And that will all be out in a book uh, in early September called Ending Slavery. And that's something we're very excited about. We're going to tie that to national legislation campaigns as well as a, a much broader general campaign for the public. Well, you know, there are 54 million Americans with disabilities. We are that large, silent giant out there. So you know what I'll have to do is have you back on. I would love um, that. So we can talk about your book. And also then maybe we you know, could put it, uh, advertise it through, through Voice America and through our website um, so that, you know, your timing is great. You've got a presidential election coming up. Always can be a helpful time for uh, uh, new changes and new, new possibilities. Uh, certainly we feel uh, pretty optimistic about the work that we've been doing in Congress because we keep finding that uh, while we may be coming slightly out of left field to some politicians, once we explain the issue, uh, no one seems to bring any sort of serious objection. We keep finding we're pushing it at open doors, and that's a wonderful thing. And I want to repeat that in this book, Kevin talked about contemporary slavery in various parts of the world, from Mauritania, Brazil, Pakistan, uh, India. But I want to talk for a minute about Thailand. You know, I, I I will tell you, it was hard for me to read. It was hard for me to read. uh, But I want you to talk about that a little bit, about the brothels and how this works, because I want our listeners to know how brutal this is, and this includes young girls. Mm. I want you to talk about those brothels in Thailand and how this slavery works there. Well, you know, I focus on uh, a young woman that I call Siri in the book, and her basic story is that she's about 14 years old and a labor recruiter, a woman promising some uh, a legitimate job, comes to her family in rural northern Thailand, uh, convinces uh, she's well uh, the recruiter is well dressed well spoken seems prosperous convinces her poor farm family that in fact uh, she has a job for Siri in Bangkok as a waitress and that in fact she can even give them an advance on her wages uh, if, she, if if they'll allow Siri to go with her to this job and in time you know the the family relents and of course like many 14 year old farm girls she's very much ready to go to the big city, wants very interested to do that. But within a couple of days, that labor recruiter sells Siri to a, to a slave broker for $2,000. Uh, and the broker then turns around in another two days and sells her to a brothel, a house of prostitution in a uh, city far, far from Bangkok in, the, in a rural part of Thailand uh, for $4,000. And once there, uh, she's told by the pimp that she has to repay $8,000 to uh, gain her freedom, but that's a complete lie because they have absolutely no interest in setting her free until they've really squeezed every penny out of her. And from that point, her life simply descends into absolute hell. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's torture, assault, uh, serial rape, uh, the most horrific treatment that you can imagine, very little food, very little sleep, uh, locked in, locked in both to the brothel and then the brothel itself has a wall around it, and locked in with uh, 20 to 30 other young women who are all undergoing the same kind of horrific, horrific treatment. And they're told, of course, by the pimp that, in fact, um, as Buddhists, they have to understand that uh, it's not his fault. It's something that they've done in a, in a previous life 
that has taken them to the place where they can be treated so so horrifically. Uh, the reality is that uh, they make a huge sum of money uh, for the brothel. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars over a very short period, uh, and then are often dumped because the the life of one of these young girls, these teenagers in the brothel, is only uh, about two to three to at most four years. Uh, after two and a half or so years, uh, they're a cocktail of sexually transmitted diseases, and they are very desperately in, injured uh, physically and other ways, uh, terrible internal injuries, broken bones, and their mental health has been completely smashed. And uh, many of the ones I met were uh, all but, you know, paralyzed uh, by the terrible trauma that they were facing every day. Uh, it was a, a very, very grim very grim situation. Yeah, it is grim. It is terrible. I mean, when you read the book, you won't believe it. He's meaning these young girls, and I mean young, are having to, you know, like have sex with many people. 20 to 30 a day. Yeah. I mean, horrible. It's just horrifying. And again, what's so interesting, the thing I saw that was similar was this, whatever country it is, the person going in saying, we have this great job for your child. Here's the money up front. That's a very common strategy used by people to trick them into slavery around the world today. Well, well, you know, it isn't just in Thailand. As we've already pointed out, we even have forms of slavery, including prostitution right here in the United States. But one thing, one quote that you had in this book that I guess sort of sums up everything you're talking about is that you say the business of slavery is business, you know, and how it's different from slavery before because re- this is really revolves around one thing, and that is money. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I think, though, you know, Joyce, I have to say in many ways slavery throughout all human history has fundamentally been a profit-making enterprise. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's wrapped up in different packages. You know, it's, it's legal in the American South before the Civil War, in some countries, it has a religious uh, rationalization or justification. Other places, they, they, they link it up to what they call local custom or practice or something like that. But if you strip those pa- that packaging away, you'll, almost, you'll always find someone's making money off the slaves, some, getting some kind of material benefit. The one thing that's truly different about slavery today is not the fact that it's money-making, but really the, the fact that the price of slaves has completely collapsed and has has reached an all-time historical low. If you look across all of human history, and we actually have uh, good historical records of of human slavery stretching back to like 3000 B.C., Mm -hmm. uh, all of human written history includes a history of slavery. But if you look across all that period, the price of slaves is always a very high purchase price. Uh, on average, running around something like $40,000 in today's money. Uh, not unusual across all of human history. And yet, since the population explosion has, in part, flooded the world with potentially enslavable people, it means that the price, when the supply goes up, the price comes down, and the average price of a slave today is about $100 uh, around the world. And that means that instead of uh, being a capital purchase, like a car or a tractor, uh, slaves are disposable items uh, in a money-making process and are, and are used in, in ways that 
that are that can be very rough because they're about using people up and then throwing them away and replacing them again with other cheap slaves. And when Kevin says throw them away, he means throw them away. Well, it was exactly the case of those brothels in Thailand that uh, normally on the day that uh, one of these girls would test positive for HIV, that they would then just simply be taken outside the, the gates of the brothel and dumped in the street. Oh, unbelievable. Okay, I know that you understand now, if you're listening to the show, why everyone has to get on board and support this legislation coming up that Kevin's talking about. You are listening to Kevin Bales, my guest, and this is Joyce Bender on Disability Matters. We'll be right back with our champion, Kevin Bales. Conversation at a click of a mouse. VoiceAmerica.com I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship thinking, building mental muscle in baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy-to-understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Albert Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and Free Your Mind. Open your heart and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, broadcast each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back, and if you just joined the show, 
make sure you tell your friends and you yourself go back and listen to this show. You know the shows are all archived on BenderConsult.com and VoiceAmerica.com because what a show we've had today as we remember Anti-Slavery Day today with our guest, Mr. Kevin Bales, director of Free the Slaves and author of Disposable People. Kevin, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is why is the United Nations not more outraged? Like when I read your book, I would be expecting that the whole United Nations would be saying, oh, my God, we've got to do something about this. Why isn't that happening? You know, the United Nations, much like our national government and other national governments, have been a little slow on the uptake on this issue. It's crept up on them in the same way. And in in that special United Nations style, uh, of course, they haven't taken a unified approach to it. They've, in fact, uh, several different parts of the United Nations have all started their own separate initiatives. Some of those initiatives have been really good, uh, not ones that you would necessarily know a lot about. Particularly, though, the work of the International Labor Organization has been fantastic uh, in helping countries to address this issue, uh, particularly after they established a special working group just on slavery issues. Uh, however, you're absolutely right, Joyce. The United Nations uh, is doing good work, but it does not have its act together in a unified and coherent way. Uh, I've just been working, doing some work with the United Nations, and particularly Julia Ormond, who's the uh, British actress who's now the United Nations Special Ambassador on Slavery and Human Trafficking. We're working out a plan to take this, to start at the top and work with the Security Council and go through a series of steps that would allow the United Nations to take a unified and much more effective response to global slavery. Oh, thank God. You know, do you think it's also because... You know, it's a, you're having to challenge the other countries when you talk about this. Well, you do have to challenge countries very often, but it's also the case that every virtually every country in the world has already ratified the United Nations Conventions on Slavery. Uh, there are several of them, and almost everyone has already ratified them. So it's not a question of making a challenge uh, in a sort of a, uh, accusing way, but saying you've already made a promise that you're going to do certain things about contemporary slavery, uh, how can we work with you to make sure you can keep your promises better? Hmm. Well, we we need to keep pressing forward on this so that something does happen. And that is my next question, Kevin. What can our listeners do to help? What can we do? Well, there are a number of things. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's the usual three-step process when you want to solve a problem. Uh, you can't solve a problem you don't understand, so step number one really has to be about finding out more about the issue. You can do that on our website. You can look at my book, but there's plenty of other things out there. You know, if you put modern slavery into a Google, you're going to turn up with lots and lots of, of information these days. So do some, do some homework and find out how this very large issue most touches you as an individual. Secondly, uh, you know, it's a problem that's too big for any individual to, to solve on their own. It's really one that requires people to get together. That's one of the reasons we started Free the Slaves, so that Americans could join together and, uh, and approach this issue. The wonderful thing about that is that in many, many parts of the world, getting people out of slavery is, 
is actually a fairly inexpensive process. In northern India, where whole families are caught up in hereditary slavery, we're finding $50, $60 is what it costs to help those people to come out of slavery. Now, that's not about paying off their debts or buying them out of slavery. That's just about running the programs. That's sort of the unit cost of running the programs that, that where our workers literally help them step, not just out of slavery, but into economic autonomy and citizenship. Because uh, uh, let, me, let me pause for a second and say, one of the things that we're absolutely adamant about, and I think your listeners will especially appreciate this, is that we do not want to repeat the botched emancipation that occurred in the United States in 1865. Mm-hmm. In 1865, four million slaves were dumped. They were made free, but they were dumped into an economy without access to jobs, without access to education, political participation, and relegated to second-class or third-class status. Uh, people were set free, but it was one of the worst emancipations that's ever occurred in human history. And we are absolutely determined that anybody who comes out of slavery on our watch comes out of slavery with a plan for becoming an autonomous, economically secure citizen of the country they live in. Right, because it's not going to help. I mean, try to imagine being, you know, we none of us, unless you yourself are a slave, can imagine what it would like to be a slave and then all of a sudden, there you are. Now what? I mean, well, you know, what would happen? Well, remember, slavery is all about having the theft of your labor. Mm-hmm. So slaves, when they come to freedom, very often have literally nothing, only the clothes they stand up in. And if that's, if you know, the idea that you're somehow supposed to rebuild your life starting with absolutely nothing not even a clear understanding of the world around you when you've been cut off from the world by the, by the barriers of slavery uh, is, is really ludicrous. And, uh, the, and, and slaves, freed slaves, need that bit of help to get onto their feet. Now, the remarkable thing is, of course, the resilience and the power of freed slaves because around the world, the groups that we work with, people come out of slavery, and it's just breathtaking how quickly they achieve education, uh, economic autonomy, uh, true citizenship. Uh, they want it so badly. They, ta- they can taste it so, 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 so much in their mouths that they want it so much that uh, they really do- are, are relentless in building up a, an independent life. Right. Oh, I can't imagine. I mean, you know, I did see the beginning of... Uh, your video of uh, in India showing the person in India talking mm-hmm. about being freed from slavery mm-hmm. and just how you cannot um, it showed these people who were very poor and yet felt so rich because they were free that's the film called silent revolution yes. and uh, you know a, any any listener can go and watch that film on on the website uh, and it's a very powerful film about people who Uh, in the process of getting free, actually have what few possessions they do have taken away from them, burned and destroyed by the slaveholders who are trying to force them back into slavery. But they beat their way to freedom and end up rebuilding a village, building a school for their children, and setting themselves up as a a sound community. And interestingly, since that film was made, uh, something that came as a big surprise to me was that a whole lot of those Villagers who had come out of slavery just in the last couple of years, when the elections came up, ran for office 
Really? And, yeah. Uh. And some 90, some, some of them ran for office, and 60-some achieved election, including uh, 45 women, which is absolutely unheard of in rural India. So it was a tremendous breakthrough, uh, but, but in some ways a logical outcome of them acting on their own freedom. Well, listen, Kevin, before we leave the show today, we always ask our guests to end with a message for our listeners, and what would it be from you? Well, the message for me is this. We all agree and we have the means. We can end slavery and we can do it in the next 25 years. Oh, very encouraging. Very encouraging statement. I always end with a quote from a famous civil rights leader. And today it is from Mr. Kevin Bales who said, If we can't choose to stop slavery, how can we say that we are free? How true it is. Kevin, keep up the wonderful work. We'll look forward to having you back on. Joyce, it's been absolutely brilliant. I've enjoyed it so much. And you keep up your good work, too. All right. Have a good day. This is Joyce Bender. Thanks, Joyce. For Disability Matters on VoiceAmerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.